Hello and welcome once again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. We know we are made in the image of God, but we also know, if we look at our world and how we treat it and each other, that something isn't right. Lead teacher Jeff Norris continues the series Imago Dei with this sermon entitled Image Marred, which covers Genesis chapter 3 verses 1 to 7. For more information and to watch or hear other messages, please visit our website at perimeter.org. Thank you for joining us today. We started a series last week called Imago Dei, which I jokingly said is just a pastor's way of using Latin to make ourselves feel smart, but it means the image of God. And uh, what a significant series. A tremendously important topic for any time and any place, but especially in this day and time, in this year, with all that we've been dealing with, with how we've all been reminded of the brevity of life and all the different ways that uh, with all kinds of things going on in our world and in our country, we, we tend to uh, function in a way with one another. And we're seeing it more than ever. Uh, to label and vilify and polarize and, and then create enemies in some ways. Maybe even to the point of where we realize we're not engaging with one another as those who are made in the image of God. Now, it's certainly understandable why those outside the church who know nothing of this teaching and of the Bible would interact in that way. But what's most concerning, as I said last week, is when you look at the church, not necessarily perimeter, although I'm sure it's happening at some level, the very same way of interacting with one another, of viewing one another in the way that it's playing out is happening within the church. And we need this teaching. And, and I told you last week, it's, it's amazing to me that we first planned this series back in October, long before we knew anything that was going to be happening in 2020. And God in his providence and his goodness and his timing said, this is what I want you teaching in July of 2020. Couldn't have been more appropriate and pertinent to where we are. I came across a, an article just this morning, and, and it was such a time squeeze. I didn't have time to put it in my notes. So I'll just reference it. But when you think about the sacredness of life, there was a study. This came out, the, the article I read came out in, in June, uh, on June 28th of this year, so just a month ago. And it was a study done by Arizona Christian University. And their research department had done a long uh, study that, uh, about how do Americans view the sacredness of life. And the results were really interesting in that only a little bit over half of those surveyed and the, the ways in which they were forming and getting their data, only a little over a half viewed life as sacred. And almost 70% believed that humanity is intrinsically good. Now, you may hear that and go, well, yeah, well, I mean, that's, we, we would want to say that in, humanity is intrinsically good. But did you know that the Bible actually teaches something different? That there are verses in the Bible that actually say that no one is good, no, not one, no one desires God, no one is righteous. 
Now, we were created, certainly we were created good. As we learned last week, when God created man and woman, he looked at man and woman and he said, this isn't just good, this is very good. But something happened. And that something is critical. If you'll remember last week, I showed you this, the five-pillar gospel. As we think about Scripture from Genesis to Revelation, as we think about the good news, the good news of Jesus, that's what gospel means, is good news. And when we think about the good news of who Christ is, uh, we can't start in Genesis 3, which is where we're going to be today. We must start in Genesis 1. We have to start with creation all of creation and God, what he was intending to be true of creation, but specifically zooming in as it pertains to you and I on Genesis 1, 26 and 27 to say this about humanity. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And then in verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. So as we talked about last week, if you missed it, go back and listen to it. It was significant teaching on this that we have to anchor in before we get to the second pillar. I want you to think of pillars as like columns that would hold up a building. They're, they're critical to the structure. If they're not there, it will fall in on itself. And so the second pillar is where we're going to be camped out today as we think about the implications of the fall. What did that affect in us and to us? And then Next week, I'll point us there today. Next week, we'll sit there, which is the third pillar of redemption. All that God has accomplished for us and in us and now through us through the finished work of Jesus. And then week four, weeks four through eight of this sermon series are going to be primarily focused on the fourth pillar, restoration. What is God doing in this restoring work in his people? Is he re uh, renews and restores us as his image bearers to what we were created to be before sin came into the world. And then we'll, we'll be able to speak a little bit to the fifth pillar in this series. Really, that's a, a whole nother series for another day. I wish we could spend more time there, but what it's going to look like, what do we have to look forward to when all things are made new, when Christ comes again and this kingdom that he is bringing in part now is experienced and full upon his return. So those are the five pillars of the gospel. As we think about this second pillar, we think about the fall. I'll tell you a quick story. In our house, Legos are, are huge. And they're not so much anymore. My kids have gotten older. My youngest, Annie, she's eight. She still loves Legos and still plays with them. My older three are, are not into them anymore. But there was a day in time where we had buckets and buckets and buckets of Legos. And they all started with where you, they came in a package and with directions on how to build this particular thing that, that, you know, you get the pieces for and whether it be a spaceship or a car or a boat or a house or whatever it may be. But eventually over time, all of them get mixed together and it got to where, especially when my son Samuel was little, he loved Legos as much as I did. We would pour all of the buckets out into the floor, create this huge mound and just use our imagination to build whatever. Now I'm not ashamed to say that I probably am the biggest Lego lover in my house. And left unto myself, I could sit there, and if my back would hold up, I would sit there and make something all day long. I love it. So this is one particular day. I think it was a Saturday afternoon. We go down, Samuel and I go down into the basement to 
to do Legos and we start creating and putting something together before, before I know it, I'm putting something together that is beginning to look like a masterpiece. And as I'm, as I'm putting piece upon piece and as I'm getting the vision in my head, this uh, amazing, very detailed, very layered, complex spaceship is coming together. And the more it comes together, the more I'm amazed at what's happening here. Not because I'm amazing, but because this is beautiful. This is so good that's being created. And the more I created it, the more I fell in love with it. So much so that when it was finished, it had like eight wings and uh, all these different details that only I would notice. If you just looked at it, you wouldn't see the detail. But I would, I would in my mind, this is what this is for. And I had two compartments for the little Lego men to fly it and all that. I mean, it was intense and in depth. So much that when I finished it, I wouldn't let anyone touch it. You couldn't play with it. And so what I did with it is I put it up on the shelf there in our basement. I put it up high where only I could reach it so that every time I went down to the basement, I could, could, could just gaze at it and just think, wow, I created that. Well, there was this one day uh, where I'm not sure, I really can't tell you what happened. I don't, I don't remember if it was me or something else. I don't, I don't remember. I just remember that I came into the basement and my masterpiece was on the floor and it had shattered into a lot of different pieces. Now, here's the thing. You could still tell that it was, um, you could still tell it was a spaceship. It had the remnants of it where you could look at it and go, that, that, I think that's a spaceship, but it was in so many broken pieces that there was not, listen, don't miss this. There was not one aspect of that ship that wasn't affected by its fall. It certainly still looked like a ship, but it was very marred. Which then took me on a journey of trying to put it back together, piece by piece by piece, to get it back to its original glory, at least in my eyes. Now, all analogies break down. I think you know where I'm going with this. I didn't create this spaceship in my image, right? And so the, the analogy breaks down there, but what we're going to be focusing in, in on today is last week, yes, we are made in the image of God, and that speaks hugely to our existence now. But in Genesis 3, there's not one aspect of who we are that wasn't affected by our fall into sin. This is one way to look at it. Uh, I've been reading a book by a guy named that I'll reference several times today, a guy named Anthony Hokema. And he gave us a lot of good uh, insight and verbiage to what happened to mankind at the fall. I'll give you a quote from him in just a moment. But let me say this. Here's one of the key things to know today. We are made in the image of God. And even after the fall, we continue to bear the image of God. But that image is marred. The definition of marred is to impair the appearance of, to disfigure, uh, to distort it, to pervert it. John Calvin said this. These are the words that he used. He, he said, the image of God in man after the fall is deformed, vitiated, mutilated, maimed, disease-ridden, disfigured. So it's there, but it's not anywhere close to what it used to be. 
How did we get there? Biblically speaking, how did we get there? I want us to go to Genesis 3, where in your Bible, perhaps like mine, the heading that's not Scripture that we have just put into, uh, into the Bible of, of headings for us to understand where we are in Scripture, the heading is the fall. And in verse 1, it says this. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say you, and the you there is plural, that's a plural you, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden. I just want to pause and say this first. I want you to notice how the ways of the serpent, the ways of the evil one have always been the same. His tricks are as, uh, the same now as they were then. Oftentimes when he's tempting us, when he's bringing temptation, he will come at us with a question. He'll come at us with a question that causes us to doubt the goodness of God. Did God really say, did he actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And she says, the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. So the enemy starts with a question that makes you think, is God good? Is he for me? Is he withholding something good from me? And then he oftentimes, as he has from, all, from the very beginning, follows that up with a lie. Look at verse four. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. And certainly that was a lie, as we'll find out here in a moment. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, you see what the enemy's doing here? He's so crafty. He's so deceptive. What he's doing here is he's, he's saying, look, God's keeping something from you that you really should have. God's withholding something from you that should be rightfully yours. He knows that if you ate of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, that you'll, you'll be like him. You'll know what he knows. And this is enticing to Eve. And so, as it is to us as well. So she says, or it says in verse six, and when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Now that's, that's important. Remember last week we talked about God made male and female, both created to equally and fully image God as, as male and female and the, the significance of that, but also understanding that he made male and female uh, equal in purpose and value, but distinct in design and role. And that there's great beauty in that imaging between the two of them to fully image Christ and the Lord together. And then he says, he gives the command to Adam actually before he creates Eve to man before he creates woman, to, to work and to keep the garden and to make it flourish. And so he's not doing what he was supposed to be doing. Here's how I think it might have gone down. Don't hear this as that this is my interpretation of the scripture. This is just how sometimes I try to enter into the story of what's happening here and see it. Not just read it as words in the page, but see it as a real interaction that happened. 
to where the enemy is coming to the woman, is coming to Eve, and he's saying these things to her. And she's going, yeah, you know what? That's, in her mind, she's thinking, that's, that's a really good point. God's trying to keep something from us. He, he doesn't want us to, to be like him and knowing what he knows. And that's not fair. Hey, Adam, Adam, come up, come over here. You got to hear this. And Adam comes over and he hears it too. And before they know it, they're believing the lie. But look at verse seven. Then the eyes of both were opened. There it is. That's when everything changed. It's at that moment that they took of the fruit. And they basically said to God, and they're partaking of the fruit, I don't want what you have planned for me. I don't want what you have given me. I will push against your glory to try to create my own. And when they did that, we often say this, we fell dead in the garden with them. It's at this moment that they spiritually died. And Satan is a liar. He said, you will not surely die. And of course, physical death became a ramification of that. But it is at this very moment that death came upon them. Because it says their eyes were open, but what were their eyes open to? Yes, they now understood that there's good and there's evil. And previously they didn't see that. They only saw the good. But the immediate effects of sin became incredibly visible and palpable to them. Because upon eating, it says their eyes were open and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. What were their eyes open to? Their eyes were open to their shame. Immediately we see sin bringing about shame. And then as you keep reading the story, which I don't have time to do, God calls out, this is interesting, not time to teach it, but just think about it. God calls out for Adam. And he says, Adam, what is this that you have done? Isn't that interesting? Eve's the one who, was, who took the fruit. Something significant there about how God created in the, in the command that he originally gave to Adam. But he calls out for Adam. You know what Adam does next? Not only, not only is he ashamed and is Eve ashamed of their nakedness, but they're hiding now. So sin causes shame, sin causes hiding. But then when he calls out to Adam and says, what is this you've, you've done? You know what he does next? He blames and he says, it's the woman that you gave me. So he blames her and God. And sin just like that is ravaging humanity. And everything has changed. Now, here's two key things to know. The message, big ideas, if you will, from this morning. The first one is this. After the fall, all humanity continued to bear the image of God, albeit a marred image. Now, how do we know? How do we know? How do we know that we, we continue to bear the image of God? Genesis chapter 9, verse 6 says this. So this is not only after sin came into the world. This is even after the flood, when God is now through Noah's family, filling the earth. It says, whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed, for God made man in his own image. So the image of God is still present in man, not what it used to be, but it's still there. Let's look at this from James chapter three, verse nine. It says, with it, we bless our Lord and Father. This is talking about our tongues. 
With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who were made in the likeness of God. So after the fall, all humanity continued to bear the image of God, but it was marred. But I want this to be clear. The second truth that I want you to hear, after the fall, all humanity fell out of fellowship with God and became spiritually dead. I want you to understand the distinction there. That when we talk about, and you've heard us say this a lot, that at the fall, we lost it all. We're talking spiritually. We lost it all. We, we became sinful from the very core of who we are. We were born into sin. This is the doctrine of original sin, that we are a people who are extensively depraved now, that there's not one aspect of our being that's not tainted by sin. So that everything about us now is to the glory of self. But, but, and this is key, we do retain the image of God. Let me explain to you why that's significant. Here's why that's significant. As I mentioned earlier, I was going to tell you what Anthony Hokema says. I think he's, he's got some great insight here. He gives us some categories to think through. He says this. Imaging God pre-fall was, looked like this. It looked in two categories, like structural and functional. Here's what he says. Structurally, we would image God before sin came into the world in this way. With our structure, man's, mankind's, one thing I don't have listed up here is our bodies. Imaging God, and I talked a little bit about that last week. But even our possession of reason, of logic, of morality, our gifts, our capacities, what he, what he calls our endowments, things that God has given us to be able to through these gifts from him and the way that he's created us to image him. And then he talks about, so that's the structural component. Then he talks about the functional component that functionally we imaged God through our possession of true knowledge, righteousness, and holiness of God. So our knowledge of God was perfect wasn't full. We didn't know everything about God. But in our knowledge of God, we imaged him. We knew him. We were in communion with him. We were in relationship with him. We fellowshiped with him. And in our knowledge of him and in our righteousness of him and in our holiness of him, we obeyed God as we imaged him structurally or functionally. So what this is, is... It's the proper functioning of humanity in harmony with God's will for mankind. Now, here's where everything shifted. Sin comes into the world. We inherit, we inherit the, the, what has been called the Adamic residue. We inherit the residue of Adam in us. So we are born with that sin nature. And because of that, here's what happens. The image of God is structurally retained. Okay, so let's go back to the previous slide real quick on structure. Let's go two back. There we go. So that means that mankind's possession of reason, morality, gifts, capacities, endowments, still at a certain level, although marred, is still in play. That's why people who know nothing of Jesus, know nothing of the Bible, know nothing of being created in the image of God, know nothing of the cross of redemption, can still be people who logic reasonably, who do good moral acts, 
This is why sometimes people say, well, what about so-and-so who doesn't follow Jesus, who wouldn't identify as a Christian, is always one of the sweetest, nicest people I've ever seen. Structural imaging of God. It was retained. You're still capable of doing good things. It doesn't mean that your heart has become good or changed from the original fall. It means that you're still imaging God at a certain level, capable of doing things that are God-like but also capable of doing things, obviously, that are not God-like. So we'll go back. Oh, no, yeah, we're there. So the, the image of God is structurally retained. So the implication of that is that there's dignity and value in all human life. I'll come back to that in just a moment. Functionally, here's what happened at the fall. Structurally, image of God is retained. Functionally, the image of God is lost completely and totally lost. We're separated from God. We cannot fellowship with him anymore. We do not know of his knowledge. We do not know of his righteousness and holiness. We do not obey him. We do not long for him. We don't want him. We want anything and everything but him because what's in our heart now, functionally as it plays out within us, is opposed to God. So the implication here is that the spiritual depravity is the spiritual depravity of all human beings. Now, why am I telling you all this? Why does it matter? All, this, all these categories, you might have just zoned out right then. It's okay if you did. Come back with me. Structural, functional, what are we talking about? Are we in math class all of a sudden? What's going on? All right, so here's why this matters. Here's why this is so important. To know that we still structurally image God in our bodies, in our reason, in our logic, in our gifts, in our capabilities, in our endowments, so on and so forth, means that every single human has dignity and value. Every single one, because every single human is made in the image of God. Every one. It's marred, but it's still present. Why does that matter? Because it means that we fight for that dignity and every, we fight to see that dignity in every single human. Week four is going to be all about the dignity of humanity is made in the image of God. So what that means is this. It means that it doesn't matter our assessment of them, of that person, of that individual made in the image of God. It doesn't matter if we want to say, well, they're dismissible because of X, Y, and Z. It doesn't matter if they're the most immoral person you ever met or the most moral person you ever met. It doesn't mean if they're the greatest criminal with the longest rap sheet or, or the most moral person that's never done anything wrong legally. It doesn't matter if you disagree with them politically. It doesn't matter if you disagree with them on masks. It doesn't matter if you want to get into a fight with them on social media. It means that they have dignity. And it means that we treat them with dignity. It's why Jesus was able to say, love your enemies. It's why he was able to say, love those and pray for those who hate you. It's not because being a Christian is some moral high ground. It's because it's recognizing the doctrine of the image of God and every single human created, period. 
And so we fight to see that in every one of them. And it begins at conception in the womb. And from that point until the time that Jesus has numbered our days and says, it's time for you to not be on this earth anymore until I come again. And every millisecond of that time that he has given us, we are fighting to see the image and the dignity of God in every human. Here's what it also means. It also means that because we have functionally lost the ability to message God, because we're spiritually dead and separated from God, it means that we're also accountable to God. Now, here's the struggle with that. The struggle with that is this. Everybody, regardless of religious background, regardless of where we are on any spectrum, everybody wants to hear the first thing. Everybody wants to hear you count, you matter, you have dignity, you have worth, you have value. Everybody wants to say yes. But the world has increasingly so, and it's been this way forever since Genesis 3, but it feels like it's at an all-time high that at the same time we want to say, yes, I have dignity value, we don't want to be held accountable for our sin. We don't want to be held accountable to our creator, who we are made in his image. So yes, every human has dignity and value, but every human made in the image of God, why do we preach the gospel? For two reasons. One, to say you're made in the image of God, but your image is marred and you've lost everything in the garden. You've, you've died spiritually. And the only way you can begin to be made new, the only way, is through the one who is the true, complete, perfect image of God. I want you to see this. Let me read this quote first from, from Hokema. He says this, when man was created, he possessed the image in the structural or broader sense. And at the same time, imaged God properly in the functional sense, since he lived in perfect obedience to God. After man had fallen into sin, however, he retained the image of God in the structural sense, but lost it in the functional. What changed, in other words, was not the structure of the man, structure of man, but the way in which he functioned, the direction in which he was going. Summation of everything that I just said. So where do we land with all this? What, what does this mean practically? Here's a starting place of where we land this week. We land in this understanding that we are, as Francis Schaeffer said, we are glorious ruins. Schaefer said this, he said, we are glorious ruins, a wonderful and terrible mixture of dignity and depravity. So we recognize that we're glorious ruins, that there's a remnant of glory in every human. But it's broken, it's perverted, it's distorted, it's deformed, it's marred. And there's only one that rectifies it. As I said a moment ago, it's the one who is 
the image of the invisible God. Listen to the language of Colossians 1:15. It says, "He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation." You may hear that and you may go, "Wait. I thought Adam was the firstborn of all creation." What 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 is what does that mean that Jesus is the firstborn of all creation? Remember, the New Testament teaches us the old and the new, but we get real crystal clear, uh, clarity on it in the new, that we were born into Adam with his, with his nature. But you remember what Jesus taught Nicodemus in John chapter three? He says, you must be born again. And so what Jesus is doing is he's offering a rebirth to be born yet again, because what Jesus was doing when he was hanging on the cross, breathing his last, is he was taking all the, the sin, he was taking all the distortion, he was taking all the deformity, he was taking all the things that we destroyed in the garden, and he was taking that upon himself, taking it to the grave, and then through his resurrection, giving opportunity to newness of life to where we could be recreated again. Don't miss this that we could be recreated again into his image. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Do you remember back in Genesis 3? Do you remember where it said their eyes were opened? You know what the irony of that is? Their eyes were opened to what sin is and what sin does, but they were actually blinded. And we were blinded with them. Look at 2 Corinthians 4, chapter 4, says this. In their case, the God of this world, that's Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who, here it is, who is the image of God. So what Adam and Eve thought they wanted in sight, they actually got taken away in sight and we with them to where the only way we begin to see again is to align ourselves through faith in the one who is the true image bearer that he would put our pieces back together. It's like the Lego, the ship. After it fell, I began to put the pieces back together, piece by piece by piece. When we surrender to Jesus, he makes us alive together with Christ. So he, he overcomes our spiritual deadness and makes us alive, uniting us together again in fellowship with, with God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, redeeming us from our sin, making us new, and then creating us and recreating us again more into the image of Christ. Even in a more glorious way than in Adam and Eve. This week, I'm pointing you. I'm giving you little snippets this week, and I'm pointing you and saying, let's look to Jesus. He's the one who rectifies all this, who redeems all this. Next week, we're going to relish the redemption of Christ, his all-sufficient redemption in his life and his death and, his, and in his resurrection. And what that means for us to be made into his image. So let's look forward to that. Let me pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for this time together this morning and thank you for um, your word, oh God. We, we always wanna be in a posture of gratitude that we get to open scriptures, that we get to be a people who, who sit before you and just say, oh God, teach us.
And so in that, Lord, we, we just pray, I pray that anything that was not from you clearly today, Lord, that it would be forgotten quickly. But what is from you, what was from you, that it would sink deep into our hearts, that it would change us, and that you would indeed open our eyes to see the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Make us more into your image, O Lord. That not only in our bodies and intellect and all that would be there structurally, not only would we image you more and more, but functionally as well, that you would restore unto us the knowledge of God, the righteousness of God, and the holiness of God that is only found through Christ. We thank you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and let's sing together. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and find other messages from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day. Thank you.